Tonight we'll be in Revelation 18 and the tail end of the tribulation. We'll see just about the end of the tribulation, just short of Jesus coming at the tail end of that seven year period. But I want to begin in Psalm 137 tonight. And if you'll just follow along, this is a, a psalm written in abject sorrow. A psalm written in despair. And a psalm written as a lament of days gone by. Psalm 137 verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. We remembered Zion. Let me just a second here. By the way, I'm going to start this psalm over. That's the Ishtar Gate that Saddam Hussein had built in the slowly being refurbished city of Babylon in Iraq. So that's the actual gate. And that's a, a mock-up of the original. It would have looked almost exactly like that. So Now back to Psalm 137 again. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Fathers, we read Psalm 137. We share, uh, not even able to comprehend the level of despair of the people of Israel when they were taken into Babylonian captivity. And as we read the Psalm, Father, while we recognize it's a lament, there's also prophecy involved. For even back there, Lord, back there some 500 plus years before Christ, as the people cried out in their despair, Father, we recognize a prophecy, a foretelling of a future event. They would not be told and certainly wouldn't be experienced until the very last days. Tonight as we read Revelation 18, Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to what happens to Babylon. Along the way, Father, give us understanding of Babylon and the scriptures, why, why it's an important city and what it has to do with. And Father, I pray that you will continue to tie all these things together for these students of the word, that we might have greater understanding, a deeper depth of how your word spans the sum of history. Of how history itself, Father, is not as broad and expansive as we might think. But it's simply the story of you calling to our hearts. Father, I pray that with the information we study tonight, you will call our hearts out of the place of materialism, commercialism, and out of the things that ground us and bind us to this world, that we might be ready when you call us to come home. I pray that you would free us up for that, Father, as we look to that glorious day. Holy Spirit, teach us tonight through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Revelation 17 and 18 both speak of Babylon. Revelation 17 talking about religious Babylon or mystery Babylon as we saw. Mystery Babylon, the mother of all harlots. And as we saw last week, Babylon itself was the birthplace of paganism in the world. It all ties back to there. Kevin and I were having a, a great conversation this morning after, after our fellowship. And we were talking about the fact that isn't it amazing that everything, literally all of paganism in the world, finds its roots in Babylon. Truly running all the way back to Nimrod and Semiramis, his wife, calling herself the Queen of Heaven. And we've discussed some of these things. But you can trace religion backward through the halls of time and you will find yourself every time, whether it's Eastern mysticism or Western New Age or Middle Eastern practices, you will find yourself back in the mystery religion of Babylon and their mystery occultic practices. Go forward in time and coming into the tribulation, Revelation chapters 17 and 18, you'll find this world religious system as we talked about last week, grown out of the roots of Babylonian paganism 
And I personally believe literally headquartered in Rome. If you missed that study, you can pick it up or order it. We just talked about these things a week ago. But Mystery Babylon, as talked about in Revelation 17, is the culmination of man's drive for religion in spite of God's call for relationship. As we talked about this morning, God wants relationship. To love and to be loved, that is the heart of our Father. To love His creation and to be loved by His creation. It is all relationship with God. It's never been about religion. Man is the one who has come up with religion. Satan has driven this concept of religion. And you may recall that Mystery Babylon was called in Revelation 17 the mother of all harlots, plural. That is paganism broadly, plurally comes out of that origin of paganism. It birthed many daughters of religion. It's also called the mother of all harlots because religion will itself be used, abused, and tossed out like a common street hooker. This is God's promised demise of false religion. And God will use the world systems to take it apart. Now we talked about that false religious body will likely be centered in Rome, the city of the seven hills. And even in the Roman Catholic Church today, the emphasis on the saving power of the church is obvious. And again, I'm not, not into Catholic bashing, not trying to bash anyone's particular uh, religious views, except for this point. As I said this morning, no church can save you. It is not your faith in a church that brings you into heaven. It's not your faith in a religious system that saves you. It is your faith in Jesus Christ. It is your relationship with the Lord. That's where we find salvation. That's where our peace is. That's where the fruit of the Spirit is born among all of us. So no church can save you, only Jesus can. Which is why the Hebrew writer said the following, Hebrews chapter 12, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Now, that's chapter 17, the demise of mystery Babylon, that world religion. Destroyed by the very ones who use it up in the tribulation. But chapter 18 now deals with a different Babylon. A different element of Babylon. The literal and commercial Babylon. The merchants of Babylon. Babylon as an actual city that indeed will fall. Now if you're taking notes, let me give you a quick comparison chart between chapter 17 and chapters 18. And if you, again, if you're a note taker, you can just write Revelation 17, religious Babylon on one side, commercial Babylon, Revelation 18 on the other side. And you can see these two in comparison with each other. Let me just go through these, and I can give this to you afterwards if some of you miss a few of these as we go. Religious Babylon in chapter 17 is named the Mystery Babylon, whereas commercial Babylon in Revelation 18, its name is Babylon the Great. Slight distinction, but an important distinction. Mystery Babylon is religious, it's pagan. Babylon the Great is commercial. The picture in Revelation 17 is a woman on a beast. The picture in Revelation 18 is a great city. The location of religious Babylon in Revelation 17, as we saw, is Rome. You can get them at the end. I would take them as fast as you can, and at the end we'll come right back, and you can check it. That's my wife. That's why we're having this banter. <laughs> if you miss any of these, I have them in the notes. Come up as soon as we're done. I, I, I have to go at a pace because we've got some ground to cover. So the picture in Revelation 17, religious Babylon, a woman on a beast, commercial Babylon in Revelation 18 is a great city. In Revelation 17, the location is Rome. Or I believe it's Rome. I think that Revelation 17 points toward that probably more than anywhere else. The location in Revelation 18 of commercial Babylon is a port city. It's a port city. Remember that. The description in Revelation chapter 17 of religious Babylon, the description is mother of harlots, whereas the description of commercial Babylon is a great marketplace. Mother of harlots, religious Babylon. The marketplace, commercial Babylon. The guilt of religious Babylon is seen in religious abominations. Religious abominations, paganism. The guilt of commercial Babylon is greed and self-indulgence. You'll see that tonight. The destruction of religious Babylon is by political powers, Revelation 17. The destruction of commercial Babylon is by a sudden, and I mean sudden, act of God, Revelation 18. 
The response to the destruction of religious Babylon in Revelation 17 is hatred and feasting. Hatred and feasting. The world is glad to be rid of that weight of religion. Glad to be rid of religious Babylon. Finally, we're done with her. We're tossing her out. We're finished with her. Whereas the response to commercial Babylon in Revelation 18 is stunning. It is love and mourning. Love and mourning at, the, at a great loss. The time of the demise of religious Babylon, Revelation 17, the time of the demise is toward the end of the tribulation, sometime in the last three and a half years, whereas the time of the demise of commercial Babylon is the last hour. So literally tonight, for all of our weeks of study through the tribulation period, chapters, where is the, the tribulation talked about? Chapters what? Okay, how many weeks have we been at this? <laughs> chapters 6 through 19. Good. The tribulation in the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19. If you go back to the very beginning, chapter 1 describes the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 describing the church age through the seven churches in Asia, but also the seven prophetic pictures of the church across the last 2,000 years. Chapters 4 and 5, the church is in heaven. It's a fantastic theme of the heavenlies and of great worship that's going on. Chapter 6 through 19, the tribulation period. Chapter 18 of that study, of our study, is the last hour, as we shall see. So chapter 17 and 18, I give you that to tell you this. And again, you can check this with me afterwards if you didn't get all those written down. But the difference between these two chapters is they are the two final chapters of humanistic rule. And they describe two separate Babylons, religious Babylon and commercial Babylon. Revelation 18, verse 1. After these things... So we begin once again with metatauta, after these things. Metatauta in the Greek, it's that process, that, that two-word phrase we've seen many times in Revelation, moving us on in the narrative. After these things, after what things? After the sum total of the tribulation thus far, after the fall of religion, after the, the judgments of God, those three separate judgments that God poured out. After all of these things, verse 1, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illumined with his glory there are those who have asked is that Jesus I don't believe so because the Greek word for another there is alon A-L-L-O-N and it means the same type as the prior angel so the angel in chapter 17 is not Jesus therefore the angel in chapter 18 is just another one like the one in 17 just another angel now going back again in history Babylon Babylon was not only the center of pagan religion, but it was the center and foundation of wealth and commerce in the world. It's not only the root of false religion, Babylon is also the root of that great word, that great American ideal, commercialism. Commercialism finds its roots in Babylon. It was a great center of commerce and trade and riches and power and wealth in the ancient world. It was unparalleled in strength and architectural beauty. As a matter of fact, politically speaking, if you go back to history in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon was the greatest world power that ever existed on the face of the earth up to present day. It was the only one where there was a world dictator who had world authority. And I've said this before, that's the way to go. I mean, if you had the perfect man reigning and ruling, that's what you would want as a dictator. You don't have to deal with the, the halls of Congress and the, and the arguments and committees trying to come up with rule. You just have one man. And if that one man is solid, and if that one man has perfect integrity and absolute understanding of righteousness, then it's perfect. Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't, but Jesus Christ will. Jesus Christ is a one-world ruler. will have that perfect, perfect rule. But Babylon was huge. It was unparalleled. It was an amazing, amazing place in the day of Nebuchadnezzar. And history bears that out. Nebuchadnezzar's chariots were said to be able to ride side by side in rows of six along the walls of Babylon. So great was this city. It was a massive, massive edifice. Babylon's hanging gardens... The same hanging gardens that, that Daniel indicates Nebuchadnezzar went crazy and ran and hid in for, for a long period of time. Those hanging gardens were spoken of as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, according to the historian Herodotus. But you might ask the question, well, wasn't Babylon ultimately completely destroyed? Wasn't it wasted? Wasn't it taken out? 
Well, numerous biblical prophets foretold the utter and complete destruction and annihilation of Babylon, not the least of which are Isaiah and Jeremiah. So I want to go there just for a moment. Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. In verse 19, as we hear what these two prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, had to say about the destruction, the annihilation, the wiping off the face of the planet of Babylon. Verse 19 of Isaiah 13. Babylon, the Bible says, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be, listen to this, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. Nor will the Arab pitch his tent there. Nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. Desert creatures will lie down there. And their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will also live there and shaggy goats will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her faithful time also will soon come and her days will not be prolonged. As, what, as, is, as happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah that were completely waylaid, raised off the face of the earth, not to exist anymore, completely fried, wiped out, so will the destruction of Babylon be to the point that no one will reside there after she is destroyed. Now, going ahead to Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah 51, the next book over. Jeremiah 51 and verse 24. For now, we'll come back to Jeremiah a little bit later. Jeremiah 51.24 The Lord says the following. He says, I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all their evil that they have done in Zion before your eyes, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain. Who destroys the whole earth, declares the Lord, and I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and I will make you a burnt out mountain. They will not take from you even a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but you will be, listen, desolate forever. That's pretty extreme language. You, Babylon, will be desolate forever, declares the Lord. And the question we must ask when we read prophecies like this in the Old Testament is, did this happen? Has this occurred? Has Babylon been wasted off of the face of the planet? Does the Arab no longer even pitch a tent there? Has it been completely desolated forever? Has it ever had the fate of a Sodom and a Gomorrah? And the picture behind me right there of, of the Ishtar Gate in Babylon proves otherwise. The truth is, historically, there have always been people living in the region of Babylon. Babylon has not ever experienced the full and utter destruction prophesied by Isaiah and Jeremiah. Which means we have two options. Either the Lord was wrong... <laughs> Or it's going to happen, but hasn't yet. Those are the two options, by the way, you always have with Bible prophecy. If it's something that has not been completely, literally, and utterly fulfilled, either God was wrong, or it will be fulfilled. And you have to make that decision. And I hope you believe that it will be fulfilled, because if you believe the Lord is wrong, we've got a whole other problem that we need to deal with, but we will at another time. The Medes and the Persians came along with Babylon. They certainly conquered it. They certainly took it out. But they resided in Babylon. Took it over. Lived there. Lived in the region. And there have always been inhabitants there. Villages, small communities. And then Saddam Hussein came to power. Let me read you something. This is from a book by Charles Dyer called The Rise of Babylon. He wrote the following. It is a cloudless summer night. And the moon casts its shining image on the banks of the gentle Euphrates River. Thousands of guests and dignitaries walk by torchlight to Babylon's procession street and enter the city from the north. Instructed to line the streets along the massive walls, the guests obediently follow orders. When the audience is in place, the dark-eyed ruler nods and the procession begins. Rows and rows of soldiers parade in, dressed in Babylonian tunics, carrying swords, spears, and shields. Interspersed among the soldiers are musicians playing harps and horns and drums. Clusters of children carry palm branches, and runners bear bowls of incense. And then come soldiers and more soldiers in a seemingly endless line of men and weapons. 
After the procession, the guests attend the ceremony praying, paying tribute to Ishtar, the mother goddess of Babylon. Ishtar is another name for Semiramis. Have I just described a scene of pagan worship from the time of Daniel? Perhaps. But it's also exactly what Charles Dyer says I witnessed when I returned to Babylon in 1988 for the second International Babylonian Festival held under the patronage of Saddam Hussein. Well, over 20 years ago, Saddam Hussein, when he was in power, commissioned a team of Japanese architects for the task of rebuilding Babylon. The palace of Nebuchadnezzar is at this time complete. The gate of Ishtar, complete. The main royal paveway is complete. There's even a mock-up of the Tower of Babel to be constructed in the near future and plans for its reconstruction. Saddam Hussein spent over a billion dollars in his day to recreate this city, wanting to make Babylon a place of incredible tourism dollars and the center of the Arab world. But Saddam Hussein was not the only one. According, recently now, to a report released in November 2005, American ambassador to Iraq, Zalmay Khalizad, who has been called the most powerful man in Iraq, has promised to renovate the ancient city of Babylon. Khalizad made this pledge recently while touring the city. He said, uh, says during his visit, he pledged, quote, to rehabilitate and develop Babylon in a manner that meets the ancient city's standing in history. He also vowed to spend $20 billion to restore and upgrade infrastructure in Iraq's 18 provinces. And as Iraq continues to dominate world news, we shouldn't be surprised to see Babylon rebuilt and more and more European influence when the U.S. begins to withdraw. Why would we see more European influence in Iraq as the U.S. withdraws? Because that's where the money is. That's where the oil is. As you know, and what our president is often accused of, and our, and our, uh, our political structure is accused of, is we went to war about the oil. But whether or not that's the case, the reality is it is an oil-rich country. And it is a place for investing. And it is a place that Europe has its eye. As a matter of fact, France, Russia, Germany, these countries wanted to stay back and out of the war. Why? <laughs> because that's where the oil was. And it's important to maintain those connections. Well, that gives us a little bit of past and present of Babylon. What about the future? Back to Revelation 18, verse 2. Verse 2, this great angel, this other angel comes down. And it says, he cried out in verse 2 with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Hateful birds. They're quiet tonight, but we have a few hateful birds in this place. I often feel like I'm at battle with the birds. Fallen, fallen. The literal rendering of this is fell, fell. Fell is Babylon the Great. It's spoken by this angel in the past tense, though it is just about to happen. Though it happens after the angel said this, it's spoken in the past tense. We've seen this before in the Bible, a proleptic phrase. A phrase that is so absolutely sure to happen that it's spoken of as if it already did. And so the angel said, fallen, fell. This is a sure thing. And there are two fallens there, by the way. Fallen, fallen, I think speaking of two Babylons. Religious and commercial Babylon, both being destroyed. Or possibly, possibly the angel could be referring to two fallens. In other words, fallen Babylon of the past and fallen Babylon of the future. And the angel says the great city has become a dwelling, a, a dwelling of demons of unclean spirits, of unclean and hateful birds. In other words, it's foul. <laughs> but you notice, you notice here, there is a commercial interaction between the nations and Babylon. Between the nations and Babylon. Look at verse 3. For the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. If the democracy of Iraq actually develops, as we're watching in our present day, think about how attractive this oil-rich country truly will be. It is not hard to imagine... This, this European rush to fill the vacuum that the U.S. would leave when we eventually withdraw. And this coming world leader that we've talked about, Antichrist, 
who Daniel teaches will come out of Europe would certainly be attracted to this oil-rich region as well. Well, going on, verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Interesting, her sins have piled up as high as heaven. Could that be an inference to the Tower of Babel? A tower that they were trying to build up to the heavens. And God may be using kind of a wordplay here saying, just like Babel, just like that time when you tried to build up to the heavens, your sin has done that. Your sin has reached the heavens, piled up high to the heavens. But now Jesus, he sends out his own warning. He says, come out, come out of commercial Babylon. But it begs this question, who's he talking to? Who is Jesus calling out to? And I believe this is the voice of Jesus coming directly out of heaven at this time. Come out of her, my people, says the voice. Well, the people don't belong to an angel. and The people don't belong to, to one of the cherubim. The people belong to the Lord. And the Lord says, come out of her, my people. Get out of here. It's his own. Whose own? Jesus' own people. And what are they doing in Babylon? Why are they in this place? Why is it that they need to be called out of this place? Who are his own, and what are they doing in commercial Babylon? A couple of possibilities. Since their captivity in 536, or 586, sorry, 586 BC, there has always been a Jewish contingent in Babylon. One of the interesting things, we just started out a few minutes ago in Psalm 137 with the, the cry of a Jewish person by the rivers of Babylon. I sat and I wept, looking back, longing for Jerusalem. And yet, when freedom came after 70 years of captivity, when freedom was offered and available to the people, many of them chose just to stay right where they were, comfortable, settled in commercial Babylon. The contingent of Jews that actually went back to Judah to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple, to try and rebuild a life there for themselves after just 70 years was very small in comparison. A small percentage of truly faithful people, whereas the vast majority stayed right there in Babylon. Could this be a reference, Jesus calling to his own, to Jewish people who have come to faith in Jesus at this time? Get out of Babylon. Get out. You've got to get out because now is the last hour. Or maybe this could be a reference to tribulation saints who are living in Babylon at the tail end of the tribulation. Who are in this, this Babylon. Now, now we haven't gotten to where this Babylon is actually located. Is it in Iraq? Is it referring to somewhere else? We'll get there. But apparently there are people that are Jesus' own who are in Babylon at this time. To the point that Jesus has to call to them to get out. And it's interesting to me because it does indicate that there are those alive at the end of the tribulation, saints on earth, who may be living in this place known as commercial Babylon at the very end. And Jesus says, flee. What's interesting about this, and just as a side note, paganistic religion isn't near, isn't near the threat to Christianity that commercialism is. And we talk about paganism from time to time. And this morning we talked about false religion and false prophets. And beware and be wary of them. And you know what? As long as you're in the Word, you have a solid grounding. You don't have to fear the threat of pagan influence. But what about commercial influence in our lives? How many hours would you imagine that each of us have logged in front of a TV set just across the last five years and the influence of the commercial, of the merchants, of the money, We're influenced in the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the homes we build, the things that we put into our homes, the schools we send our children to, the way we dress them. We're influenced in the things that attract our eyes. Commercialism. And I think the Lord could probably say the very same thing to us, you and I, right now, that He says here at the end of the tribulation, come out of Babylon. Come out of commercialism. Don't participate in her sins because they have piled up to the heavens. That's a tough one. I look around at the, at the truly sickening wealth that we live in. And I'm talking from the richest to the poorest among us. The fact that we live where we live, in the place that we live, with the things that we have. We are in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Far none, no nation has ever come close to the wealth of America even those who have the least amount. When was the last time you were looking over your bills 
and saying, I just don't have enough. And I wonder if the Lord ever says, when is enough enough? I had a friend who's a pastor down in California who used to always do this, this kind of trick. He'd go and speak at youth rallies. He's a really well-known speaker. And, and as he went, he would take out a roll of bills, $1 bills, and he'd call a student up on the stage and he'd say, okay, I'm just going to start giving you $1 bills and you tell me when you have enough, you tell me to stop. <laughs> and you know exactly the point he's making. You know, when is enough enough? It's not. I mean, I, I, I would just stand there. And when you run out of bills, that's when, <laughs> that's when I say stop. And if you got more in your wallet, I'll take those too. That's kind of the attitude. Enough is never enough for us. And we're caught in this world of, of commercialism, a place in our country that is, nowhere has been like America is. And I wonder if the Lord would say the same to us. Come out of Babylon before it's too late, before the sins reach the heavens. Come out. Verse 6. The voice now still speaking. Pay her back even as she has paid and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed mixed twice as much for her verse 7 to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree give her torment and mourning for she says in her heart I serve as a queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning commercial Babylon gang will have had intercourse with all nations that is, all nations are involved with her and with her fornications, her commercial fornications. You know the three most watched shows worldwide on TV, the three most watched shows, not just America, I'm talking about across the entire world, three most popular shows, Dallas, Dynasty, and Baywatch. That's as of 2006. Dallas, Dynasty, and Baywatch. All nations have drunk of the wine of commercialism and wealth and riches and fornication. But of course, Babylon here, Babylon being called a commercial center, a commercial mecca, being called this, this place of such great sin, Babylon says, no, 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 no. I'm a queen. I'm a queen. I sit high on my throne of wealth and riches. I'm in a good place, so self-absorbed in her own materialism, commercial Babylon doesn't even see the despair that is about to come upon her. She is absolutely blind to what's about to happen. Verse 8, for this reason, in one day, her plagues will come. Well, that didn't even happen to Egypt, it was over an extended period of time. The tribulation we've seen seven years, but now for commercial Babylon, one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Verse 9, and the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour, one day, no, one hour now, your judgment has come. A city destroyed in an hour. This is the last hour. A city destroyed in an hour. Now, put yourself in John's sandals and see if you can even imagine what he must have been thinking as he penned these words, as the Spirit gave him this revelation, and he's writing down a city destroyed in an hour? Unthinkable. How is that possible? In his day and age, that could not have happened. John never could have imagined Hiroshima or Nagasaki. He never saw the World Trade Centers collapsing in a matter of minutes like we did. A city destroyed in an hour. By the way, what an interesting name. The World Trade Towers. Talk about a center for commercialism, a mecca for the merchants. The World Trade Towers. On the day they were constructed, and I have this article at home, an editorial was written back in the early 60s. When they were built, this was said in this editorial, amazing, these towers will either be monuments to man's ingenuity or the world's biggest tombstones. Stunning. Stunning. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her. Watch why. Because no one buys their cargoes anymore. This is how sick, how sick it truly is. Now we were all stunned when the trade centers fell. We were blown away. 
I was glued, as many of you were, to the TV day after day and in the following days after that, watching the images over and over. Unbelievable. Couldn't even imagine as we watched the numbers, the death toll rising and trying to even comprehend how many people may have in that split second lost their lives. And yet it didn't take long before the financial commentators on TV were talking about the dramatic loss of wealth and the impact on the world economy, not to mention the U.S. economy, and how it would decimate our finances. And that's what we see going on here. But they don't even take a moment to concern themselves with the loss of life here. It's all about no one buying cargoes anymore. Oh no! The sorrow is not over Babylon. The sorrow is not for the people. It's over what's lost. It's not for men. It's for merchandise. This mecca of world trade is now decimated. How will we get our money back? My stocks, my bonds, it's history. How will I ever see all of my economy? What does that economy look like, by the way? It's interesting because in the following verses, we actually get to take a little elevator ride. I, I, I like this, the way this plays out. When I was a kid, I remember riding up and down the escalators in department stores. Department stores seem to have gone, have gone the way of the dodo. Now it's just malls are spread out and there's, it's easier access than it was then. And there are still a few department stores around, but do you remember those with the escalators going up three, four, five stories? And as a kid, I loved that. I just rode escalators all day long while my parents were shopping. Well, let's take a ride for a moment in Babylon Fifth Avenue. As we review John's description of commercial Babylon's economy, and watch this, verse 12. Cargoes, cargoes of gold and silver. These are the things lost in commercial Babylon. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. So we start at the very top floor of Babylon Fifth Avenue in the jewelry department. In the jewelry department, cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls. Next, we're going to ride down the escalator to the next floor down. Men's and women wear, women's wear and fine clothing. You see fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet. We ride on down to the next floor. Home furnishings and kitchenware. Every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. Next floor, perfumes and cosmetics. The Bible talks about cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense. The next floor down, we're going to stop off at the food court. Wine, olive, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep. Now we get down to the ground floor. The cargoes of horses and chariots. It's the automotive department. In the basement now, it's not on the ground floor, it's, it's actually below the ground floor. We come to the adult bookstore. It says slaves and human lives. The literal rendering of this in verse 13, slaves and human lives is literally the bodies and souls of men. What's being said here? that all of these things were for sale in commercial Babylon, even the bodies and souls of men. Proverbs 6.32 tells us, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He that does it destroys his own soul. And I think for those who have been in a position of having had an affair, that the recognition of the physical is all that's seen, but the reality is there is a soul destruction that happens when we give our bodies away in such a way. Soul destruction. It's not just about the physical. We, we can't separate out the two. The bodies and souls of men. Now don't miss this. What do all these things have in common? If you go back over to, uh, verses 12 and 13. We'll read through those again. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. And fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and articles of ivory. And every article made from costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. And what do all these things, all of these commodities have in common? Not one of them are staples for daily living. Not one of these are common. They're all luxuries and pleasures and sensualities and this is the marketplace to walk in the mall today were we just talking about this Joe I think we were walking into the mall I used to love going to the mall just to walk around and be with my wife and kids and they were little and pushing the scroll and everything I hate the mall today I hate going in the mall now part of that is just the male gene because the older you get the more you just walk into the mall and you look for a chair 
we're going to bench or something, we're going to sit down. But part of it, gang, is I walk up and down the malls and you see all these kiosks and, and after a while you start to think, what can they come up with to sell? Then you see people buying the most ridiculous things. They're spending all that, especially around Christmas time, they, all these things pop up and there's always the guys out there with the newest toy of some kind that they want to sell for real cheap that's going to break two days after Christmas. And you walk through and it's just, it's just stuff upon stuff upon stuff. And what do we need all this stuff for? And of course you have to buy bigger houses to hold more stuff. And we've got to get storage units to hold the stuff that our big houses couldn't hold anymore. And then we need a secondary storage unit to hold that which our tertiary or the first storage unit. And, then the third, and it just goes on and on. Storing this, that, everything else. Verse 14. The fruit you long for has gone from you. And all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you. And men will no longer find them. All these things that we just read, gang, they describe what most of us consider common to our daily American lifestyle. And yet they're not common. We could survive without any of them. With the exception of maybe our souls. At the time of Babylon's fall, it's going to be a center of comfortable, well-appointed, luxurious commercial materialism but when Babylon 5th Avenue collapses the world economy will crash and so now we hear the merchants lament verse 15 the merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment weeping and mourning saying whoa whoa the great city she who is clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying what city is like the great city obviously they're not thinking about Jerusalem which is truly the great city God's city the beautiful land but they say, what city is like this great city? Verse 19, and they threw dust on their heads and they were crying out and weeping and mourning saying, whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth for in one hour she has been laid waste. Now there's something interesting here. It talks about shipmasters, passengers, and sailors who watch the demise of this great commercial place. And therefore, they must be people who are watching this destruction from on board sailing vessels. They must be at sea watching the destruction take place. So the question is, if this is Babylon in Iraq, can they be watching from the Persian Gulf? Those of you who have been there, you know there's quite a distance from the Persian Gulf up to where the location is of Babylon, Hilla, in Iraq today. Could they be seeing possibly... Possibly from the Persian Gulf, seeing the smoke rising and just being aware, possibly with television screens mounted in the ship, seeing on the news what's happening in downtown Babylon being destroyed. But it's also possible that there might be a, 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 different, a different location here. Hold that thought. But John gives us another perspective now for Babylon, a heavenly perspective, looking down, a view from the top as to what really matters in life. Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. For you against her. Commercial Babylon falls and heaven rejoices at the judgment. And so Jesus said 2,000 years ago, Matthew 6.19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And while we try to amass for ourselves strong accounts of stocks and bonds and retirements and financial planning for the future the Lord is saying hey invest in what lasts eternally. Invest in heaven. Invest in your true future. Investments here may or may not be there for you when the time comes to retire. They may or may not last. Moth and rust and thieves break in and steal. Jesus says not when you put your treasure in heaven. Not when you invest eternally. It will be there. The treasure we store up in heaven is a treasure worth having. J. Vernon McGee tells the story of a Jew who asked the Israeli minister of tourism an interesting question. He said, how does it come about that all the countries surrounding Israel have oil, but Israel doesn't? And by the way, did you know that? 
Israel is oil free. They don't have oil. They've got to buy it. They've got to import all of their oil. They're surrounded by oil rich Middle East, but Israel has none. Why is that? And the reply of the Israeli Minister of Tourism is the following God gave the Arabs oil and the Jews the Bible. Is that awesome? He said, do you want to exchange them? God forbid, the oil will run out quick enough, but the word of God will last forever. And those who study such things have told us that we have already crossed the center line of the world's oil supply. We've crossed it. We're at a point now where it will only diminish. It's not looking good on the oil front. Which is another indication, I think, of the days that we live in. Verse 21, reading on, Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. This is a restatement, by the way, of Isaiah's and Jeremiah's prophecies concerning the absolute end of Babylon, the complete destruction. It will not exist after this point. But notice what all is shut down. Verse 22, The sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you anymore. In other words, the entertainment industry is going to take a dive. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants will be the great, were the great men of earth because all nations were deceived by your sorcery and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth so music, the entertainment industry is shut down artwork, great building and construction shut down, waylaid, lights and power are shut off normal life celebrations like marriage will not happen anymore and notice this, notice this, there's a word here there's a word here that all the nations were deceived by your sorcery the word sorcery in the Greek is pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy or drugs. Drugs. What exactly is this Babylon? Is this literal Babylon in Iraq today? We've already seen one possible problem with that, that the merchants and the shipmasters were watching the destruction from their ships. Now, when Babylon, Babylon of ancient times was right on the Euphrates, Babylon now is not. The Euphrates has shifted and is not near Babylon at this point. So for a ship to be close to Babylon, it would be difficult. Babylon now, Hilla, is not a port city any longer in Iraq. Is this literal Babylon in Iraq? Some clues to who this might be or where this might be. Number one, her merchants are the wealthiest men of the earth. The merchants of Babylon are the power brokers. And they're making a killing in the name of a useless economy. What do you mean by that? I mean, are children being fed? Are the poor being cared for? Are the impoverished taken care of? When you look at the massive economy just in our country alone today, we could easily care for the needs of the world. Are we? Do we? Clue number two, her people use drugs massively. The pharmakia. Clue number three, in her was found the blood of saints and prophets. Here's a fact for you from 1900 to 2000, in simply um, 100 years, there's been an average of 250,000 born-again Christians martyred every year over the past century. An average of 250,000 a year. 25 million born-again Christians have lost their lives for faith in Jesus Christ over the last century. Did you know that? That's been going on in this world. Most of this martyrdom has taken place in the country we know of as China. But even though this is documented and well known, America has refused to deal with this. As a matter of fact, China still has MFN status with America. What's MFN? Most favored nation status. China, this place that has massacred, whose human rights violations are on record as being some of the worst in the world, and yet they still would remain with America on most favored nation status. Why? Because, because we make a lot of money through China. We have some connections there. China is literally the greatest market for American goods in the entire world. 1.5 billion people in China. It's simply too big to go after. And so we let her lie. 
Now keep thinking. Where are the wealthiest merchants of the earth? Where is the hub of drug trade in the world? Who, what, where could possibly this great commercial Babylon be? And one other question just to throw into the mix. Where is America in the last days? The question that I'm often asked as we study through these things, we don't see America listed. But we don't see America referred to. We have to kind of poke around and see, could this be America? Could that be America? We don't necessarily know where America fits in to all of this. I want to give you some verses just to consider tonight before we finish. Isaiah 18. Isaiah writes, Alas, O land of whirring wings, which lies beyond the rivers of Ethiopia which sends envoys by the sea, even in papyrus, vessels on the surface of the waters, go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth, to a people feared far and wide, a powerful and oppressive nation whose land the rivers divide. Now breaking down just that verse, Isaiah 18, land of whirring wings, could that refer to bald eagles? Could that refer to airplanes? For those of you who think Rick is starting to get unpatriotic, just hang with me. Beyond the rivers of Cush, Isaiah says, that's Ethiopia. In John's day, this is literally meant to say beyond the great beyond. Out way past where we've, where we've traveled, where we've experienced, way past, way to the west, beyond the rivers of Cush or Ethiopia. Envoys by the sea, Isaiah talks about. Across what sea are these envoys coming? To the Middle East. Where would you send ambassadors? To a nation tall and smooth, literally to a nation that is outspread or wide. A nation that is polished. Isaiah 18 verse 2 in the King James Version is interesting. It it, it, uh, translates it this way. A nation meted out and trodden down whose land the rivers have spoiled. The rivers have spoiled. Literally, it sounds like a nation that has been spread out. A nation of spreading out and conquering. Could this be a precise picture of our own history as a country? A people who landed on the eastern seaboard and spread out and divided the nation and spoiled. Could this refer to what you may remember back in your high school history courses as manifest destiny? That we will spread out and we will take the land in the name of God and for all the right reasons and all the right so-called motives. Could America be Babylon? Is that possible? Whatever indigenous peoples are in the way, it doesn't matter. This land is our land and we'll wipe them off the face of the planet. If you've ever read a book by D. Brown called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, you will see what actually transpired among the American Indians in the time of the, of the wars against them. Did you know that, by the way, we didn't get the idea of scalping from them, they got it from us. But the American Indian got the idea of scalping from the soldiers who were taking them out tribe by tribe and would take their scalps of that rich, thick, luscious black hair and they would scalp them to bring back their trophies from victory. Well, to so many of these Indian tribes at the time when they saw this happening, they thought, well, I will honor my oppressor, I will honor the aggressor that the one coming against me by doing to him what he has done to me. Interesting. Isaiah says, whose land the rivers have spoiled. There are those who see this as a direct reference to America. Now I'd like you to flip back to Jeremiah 50 for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 50. And hang with me on this. Verse 11 I just want to point out a few verses through this chapter. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 11. And it says the following, Because, Jeremiah 50, verse 11, Because you are glad, because you are jubilant, O you who pillage my heritage, because you skip about like a threshing heifer, and neigh like stallions, gang, there's a time, coming when Babylon, whoever this Babylon is, will go up and smoke. But look at the response. Verse 12, the response to the destruction of this Babylon that's being talked about in Jeremiah 50. Your mother will be greatly ashamed. She who gave you birth will be humiliated. Behold, she will be the least of the nations, a wilderness, a parched land, and a desert. The mother is ashamed. 
So this Babylon is speaking of a nation that was birthed by another nation. Interesting. Could this be words of England's feelings toward America, the country that she birthed? Skip down to verse 37. Just a couple of these to think about. A sword against their horses and against their chariots and against all the foreigners who are in the midst of her and they will become women. In other words, they'll be be castrated. And a sword against her treasures for they will be plundered. But the word I want you to notice here in verse 37 is foreigners. Against all the foreigners. The literal word there for foreigners is a mixed multitude. The people of Babylon now being destroyed are called a mixed multitude an interracial melting pot. We have another problem with this being literal Babylon in that literal Babylon is not a mixed multitude and never has been. It's been a very specific group of people. Historical Babylon has mostly been Arabic, not a melting pot. Now, it could be in the tribulation. And be aware of that. This could very well be speaking of actual Babylon in Iraq because by the time of the end of the tribulation it could very well be a place that has drawn a mixed multitude from all the nations of the world coming into this commercial center. That could be right there in that Babylon, but maybe not. Because we know America is a mixed multitude, isn't it? We're having our border problems right now for that very reason. We have always been a country that has invited everybody from the world to come in and now it's become problematic for the defense of our borders, hasn't it? Skip on down to chapter 51, verse 13. Speaking still, this whole section, Jeremiah is is preaching judgment against Babylon and says the following, O you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your end. Historical Babylon, again, was built right on the Euphrates River, but today the river's moved, and the ruins of Babylon are no longer on that river. But in America, one-fourth of all the world's fresh water is in the Great Lakes. One-fourth. We also have the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Gulf of Mexico. We are a land of many waters. Could this be America that's being referred to? Verse 49, skip on down. Jeremiah 51, verse 49. Indeed, Babylon is to fall for the slain of Israel. And also for Babylon, the slain of all the earth have fallen. So this Babylon, this Babylon, Babylon will exist at the same time as Israel and is held responsible for the slain of Israel. Now thankfully right now our government is standing beside Israel in the current crisis going on in Gaza. As the Israelis are trying to, to rescue back their Israeli soldier that was taken by Palestinian militants, our government at this point is standing behind Israel. But I've said this before, the day America removes our support of Israel is the, is the day America falls. It's the day the Lord says, your protection is now gone. I wonder what will America's roadmap for peace really yield in the Middle East? That roadmap that is all but sidetracked right now. What will be the outcome of drawing Israel's boundaries back to its indefensible pre-1967 borders? That's what the roadmap calls for. That's what our government calls for, for Israel. We want you to withdraw all boundaries that you've taken since 1967. Back to those borders. And those borders are indefensible. Now, personally, I think it's probably going to happen. And I think it's all part of God's grand prophetic design that Israel will be to the point where it is no longer even able to defend itself and at that point God will supernaturally intervene. But woe to the country who withdraws support for Israel. To the country alive at the time that says Babylon is to fall for the slain of Israel. God's justice is absolute. Look at verse 53. Though Babylon, watch this, should ascend to the heavens. Now that could refer to ancient Babel, the Tower of Babel. And though she should fortify her lofty stronghold, that means the height of her strength or the high place, for me, from me destroyers will come to her. Verse 53 is interesting to me. Babylon will mount up to the heavens and literally strengthen her defenses there. How will Babylon strengthen defenses up in the heavens? Well, they've had to put it off, but on... July 4th, we're going to send another shuttle up. And all the news talk this last week is whether or not the shuttle program is going to continue on. But our forays into outer space and things such as our missile defense program that becomes much more important as we watch what's going on in North Korea 
and their nuclear ambitions and Iran's nuclear ambitions more and more was coming to the center front of politics and the military in America is we need a missile defense system that's going to take things out in the heavens it's going to take things out in the skies above us though she should try to fortify her lofty stronghold though she should try to ascend to the heavens so add all of this up, just these few verses. We didn't have time to go through verse by verse all of this. But a wealthy nation, a drug supplying, funneling, and using nation, a nation birthed by another smaller nation, a nation of many waters, a nation existing at the same time of Israel, a nation of mixed people, a nation mounting up to the heavens. And again, we all ask the question, where is America in the end times? Where is America in the biblical prophecies of what is to come? Is it possible that America's Babylon. Is that possible? Now listen, this is very important. Last week, last week I did not say that the Roman Catholic Church is the woman who rides the beast. Now some who may have heard that, it's not what I said. What I said is that the Roman Church is a picture of, or may be connected to that, but religion is the woman who rides the beast. Religion is the issue. This week I am not saying America is Babylon. But commercialism is. And we are awfully bound up with commercialism. We are that world mecca, that world center of trade and merchandise. The parallel is dramatic. But taking, taking this passage literally, it could also be... If you look at Revelation 18, taking it literally, it could be that Saddam Hussein's Babylonian project is the planting of Antichrist's center of operations in the world during the tribulation. It may well be that after religious Babylon and Rome fall to the hatred of the world, that Antichrist moves his base of operations to literal Babylon in Iraq, oil-rich Iraq, a great place to be located. But in spite of that, there's clearly no love loss for America in the world today. How did the world respond especially the Middle Eastern world, to the fall of the two towers. And you see the rejoicing in the streets among the Palestinian people? How would the world feel today if America was destroyed? Ask yourself that question. I'm not sure that there would be a whole lot of weeping over the loss of this country. You can almost hear the cries of mourning from the merchant ships if America did go down, but not for the people, but for the merchandise, for the trade. Now, if you want to know what my opinion is, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that any way you slice it, America is absent from the end times. America just doesn't show up, as opposed to saying, one of the nations. The nations certainly are all involved in the end times, but America itself seems to be absent. And it may be because the rapture of the church so guts and cripples this nation that it becomes a non-player in the twinkling of an eye. There are a lot of Christians. It is still the most Christian nation on the face of the earth. Remove everybody that is literally in the church. And what would happen to this nation? What would happen even in government? What would happen in industry? What would happen in all the transportation? What would happen to this world, to this country, when the Christians are pulled out? At that point, it would be a completely different ballgame. It may also be that the America left after the rapture becomes the great commercial stronghold of the beast. It could become the last Babylon. But listen carefully, and I need to make sure you understand this before we go tonight. I am a patriot, and I get misty-eyed on the 4th of July, and I salute the flag, one nation under God. And I am proud of this country and the good that's been done through this country and the fact that this was based on Judeo-Christian values was grounded in the Word of God from early on in the Ten Commandments. And I have a great love for America. But as I stated last week, not only can no church save you, no country can save you either. And loyalty to a country will not gain you entrance or access to heaven. Only relationship with and loyalty to Jesus Christ. All the commercial luxuries that we think we need, the American dream, which is now today more about entitlements than it is about gaining or working for it. All of this is going to be burned up in the space of a single hour, these commercial luxuries. Last verse, James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> Listen carefully to the warnings 
this brother of Jesus, James 5.1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will become a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth or, or Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And so what does the judge say as he's standing right at the door at the end of chapter 18? He's about to come. Chapter 19 is the advent of the great coming, the glorious return of Jesus Christ. What is it that the judge says as he's right at the door? He says, Revelation 18:4, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Jesus doesn't say get out of Dodge. He says get out of Babylon. Get out of Babylon. So this morning, come out of the wilderness and into the kingdom. Cross over and be where God's people are. And if there's anything in your life that you simply cannot do without, go home and have a garage sale. Get rid of it. Give it away. Free yourselves up because, folks, commercial Babylon is going down. Now, next week, prepare to go up. Wouldn't that be great? If we didn't even have another Bible study, we'd just, just prepare to go up. Prepare to see the great return of Jesus to earth. Prepare to saddle up and ride with Him as He returns. Prepare for the millennium, and we will have a breathtaking look at the eternity that God has planned for His people in the last few chapters of this book. And it's wonderful, and it is worth the whole entire study this far. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us so much, even to deliver a word that challenges our very lifestyle. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to think twice. Whether we're in Saks Fifth Avenue or Walmart, Father, cause us to think twice about the things, the stuff, the materialism. Slow us down in this commercial world long enough to see the vast waste of money, the vast waste of stuff. Father, I pray that you will call us out of commercial Babylon in our own lives. Cause us to begin to consider how we can invest who we are and what we are and what you have blessed us with. How we can invest these things for eternity. Knowing that the wood, hay, and straw of all the things that we build is going to burn up. It's the precious things, the souls of men and women. The lives touched by relationship. The lives discovered and saved in mission work throughout the world. These things are eternal. These things will last. This is where our investment lies. Oh, Father, free us up from Babylon that we might live for your kingdom today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.